Welcome to MotivationAddict.com with Julie Salon. This is where you will find inspiring stories on how to motivate yourself and gain momentum towards success, turning fear into confidence, and how to find divine flow, allowing you to crush your goals. Thank you for being here. And now, let's tune in to today's show. Welcome, everyone. Julie Salon from Motivation Addict. In this episode, I am talking with Joey Emrit Evans. She's an amazing girl. Um, she is a rider. She's an equestrian. Uh, she's moved a couple of times. She's lived in Illinois, Colorado, Connecticut, my home state, Louisiana, back to Colorado and Washington. She's now a San Francisco resident. She's been there 10 years. She has a BS in physiology from University of Colorado in Boulder. She is married to Josh. She's a parent of two black labs, Bear and Birdie. She's also an FEI dressage rider. She manages the family farm, Woodby Stables in Sonoma County. And she is co-owner of and founder of Woodby Tea. And she handles all the operations. Her mother actually runs Woodby Tea. She's an amazing competitor. We actually had a really great discussion. And even if you're not an equestrian, I would really urge you to listen to this. And the reason why is that she has um, really persevered through some struggles, uh, personal struggles. Um, She's worked with difficult horses and she's really learned how to be mindful. She's taken mindful practices and made them a part of her daily life. And I think we can all learn from that. So I can't wait for you to hear this interview. We had a great time talking together. So I hope you will love this interview as much as I love talking with her, Joey Emrit Evans. See you on the inside. Hey everyone, Julie Salant from Motivation Addict. I am so happy you are here today. I have an amazing guest, Joey Whitby. She is an accomplished writer and she also has her own business, making tea with her with her mother. Well, do you do it now by yourself or does she, is your mom no, still in it? It's still a joint, it's still a joint effort. She's awesome. a, she's our marketing and she's our sales guru. We joke she can uh, sell, sell Eskimo, ice to an Eskimo. And so I do most of the, the operation side of things. Awesome. So welcome, Joey. I'm so glad you could be here with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, it's good to be here. I'm really excited. Hey, so I know that you're going to have a lot of gems for the listeners. What I'd like to talk about, let's just start out with basically a little bit of a history of how you got into writing in the first place. Yeah. Um, well, that also actually starts with my mom. Like I think most of us in the sport, uh, I was, um, I don't know, four and my mom grew up riding horses, but very informally, just kind of backyard, jump on a horse bareback that she didn't know and didn't know and run through fields. And so at some point, um, she decided that it'd be good for me to have a, a proper education in riding. So she put me in pony club and we actually lived in Montana when I joined my first pony club. So I grew up through the pony club ranks and it was super, super special time and a great place to be riding out in the, in the mountains in Montana. And it was, it was just a very special time. So that's where I started my riding. Okay. Um, I shifted after several years in pony club and a, and a couple of moves, family moves later, I shifted into dressage uh, for a couple of years when I was in middle school. And that's where my dressage education really started. And I kind of fell in love with that discipline there. Okay. Uh, and then fast forward another family move. Uh, I was 16. I had a boyfriend. I wanted a car and uh, I was playing sports in high school and I decided to give up riding. Um, I had a, I had just a long commute to a trainer and, um, it was just, it was just kind of this point in my life that I think a lot of, 
uh, girls or, or guys reach where the tug and the pull of other things of life just want to take you away. So I left the sport and it was 12 years before I got back into it. It was a long wow. time before I got back into it. Wow. So six years ago now that I got back into it. Wow. So now you ride full-time now in addition to doing your full-time job? I do. Yeah. I am. Um, I, I kind of eased back into it. I started with just a few days of riding and then, you know, the bug, the bug comes back and bites you hard. So yeah. now I ride six days a week. Um, wow. Yeah, it's rare that I'm not at the barn, even on my, even on my off days, I go up just to see the horses sometimes. And cool. so, yeah. Yeah, totally. I totally get that. I'm there every single day. Even if I'm not riding, I broke my toe a couple of weeks ago and I'm like, still can't get myself into a boot, but I'm still there every day in my flip-flops yeah. to be carrots. Cause he gets really ticked off if I'm not there. He's I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. For oh sure. yeah. Like where have you been? Where's my mash? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now, let's be yeah. real. So no, it is it is not a sport of uh, a part time. <laughs> it is a full time gig always. I swear. So how many horses do you have right now that you're riding? So um, it's a funny question actually. So I have two uh, show horses, if you will, and then we just actually um, we just brought into the family two Icelandics. Oh, so, and those, I know they're super fun. And those ones are really just for fun um, for my mom and I. And um, one is, we, we literally got her because she, um, she is quote husband proof. So oh. she, she's a good one for my husband or for my dad, if they want to go on a trail ride and, and go out on those two guys. And then my, um, my newest adventure, which I'm super excited about, I just, uh, I just purchased a, a filly. She's, a, she's just now a year old this month, and I just purchased a filly. So she's a Danish warm blood. She's, um, we'll, we'll work on her and, and see where her, where her career goes, but the ideal would be that she's a, she's a competition dressage horse. So. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm super excited about that one. It will be really, really fun. Man, you've got your hands full. So you've got the horses, you've got the home life, you've got the, the business. Yeah. And I know a lot of equestrians always ask me this question. So I'm going to ask you, how do you balance it all? Because yeah. equestrians know that it's, it's not like we go once for an hour. I mean, it's every day, it's multiple yeah. hours. It's a whole big part of our lives. And how do you balance that all with work and family life as well? Yeah. You know, I'm, I have to say I'm fortunate in that I do own my own business. And so I'm flexible in that space. Um, but for the first three years of riding, when I got back into it, I was, um, I worked at a big tech company and I was, you know, there five days a week and commuting back and forth. And, um, you know, you have to have a really solid support system in your family and also at, at the barn, um, and, and finding a place that really helps you balance and can pick up a little bit where you need help. If you can't get there to pick someone's hooves out, then you need someone who, who can help out with those kind of things. Um, I get up really early. <laughs> I get up really early and, um, and I go to bed really early. So, you know, I think it's just, I, but the number one piece for me is just finding a support system and you've got to have your family that can um, really understand and appreciate the the level of commitment that this sport takes and it's because you know there's no other sport um that has the degree of responsibility that this sport has because of the horse component and so if you you know my husband came into this uh he didn't you know we met long after I quit riding so the horse aspect was quite new for him 
And I think he completely underestimated at first how much of a responsibility it really was. Um, because it, it's just different. It's not a, you know, they're not a tennis racket that you can pick up five days later and you don't, you know, it's, it's a very different yeah. sport. Yeah. So I really do think having a level of support that, um, that can understand how significant of a responsibility it is helps tremendously. That's huge. I mean, yeah. my, I feel the same way. My husband never, so when we met, I wasn't riding same type of thing Yeah. and he doesn't ride. He's not, he's an animal person, but he doesn't ride. He's not yep. into it. I'm the only person in my family that was into it. So it, um, it can be hard and it can be a real source of pain if mm -hmm. you're both not on the same page. And it's, yep. I think it's sometimes you just have to sit them down and say like, this really isn't an option for me. It's not something, yeah. like you said, it's not like a car you could just put away and take out whenever you want, especially if you're yeah. competing. Yeah. Um, even if you're an amateur competing and not a pro. Oh, yeah. You need yeah. to keep at it all the time and horses, you know, as I always say, today's horse is not yesterday's horse or tomorrow's horse. They don't always remember if they did, yeah. we'd all be at Grand Prix level and it just takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of revenue to keep it going. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Do you have any boundaries that you set for yourself in terms of when you're setting up and looking at your calendar for the week and thinking, okay, I have, you know, this much time for the horses and this much time for work. How do you set boundaries for yourself? Yeah, I am. Um, I actually do just that. I usually get up, um, every morning. It is a new routine that I've started. Um, but I, I get up every morning and I literally just lay out my calendar for the day. If I don't do that earlier in the week, um, and it really helps just my time management in general. So I know it helps my work, um, it, tremendously in that same way, but also with riding. So I know exactly what days I'm riding, what days I'm going to spend more time at the barn, less days, like less time at the barn when I need to carve out more time for work and, and do all of that. I think, you know, most, so many jobs now, um, in, in today's age are, um, are, are flexible in hours, if you will, because of technology, right? So we right. have our laptops that we're constantly bringing home. Now we've got our phones. So, so I think it is, you know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse because everything's more accessible, but you're also then never off. Right. So you're, yes. you're working always with you. Um, but then it's always with you. So you can say, all right, I'm going to work. And you know, for my business, I can spend my morning hours and really carve out my early morning hours for work and take some calls from the, from the car, do some, some work while I'm actually driving to the barn. And then I carve out my time at the farm and then I'm back, you know, working again at night. So I think you do, but you do have to really schedule that time yeah. uh, to your point so that you can just use your time efficiently. And, and I'm, you know, and I, I, there's, I don't have kids. So, uh, so my, my time, I would say I have even more time than most, than most writers out there, especially, you know, adult amateurs. So I think you just have to use every single minute really wisely, because if you don't, then time just kind of gets lost in the day and yeah. You know, do lists keep growing or not getting checked off. So absolutely, yeah, I do. I completely agree. I think it's really important to, to kind of really schedule out that time, I even if loosely. Schedule it in as kind of a non-negotiable because you know you're going to go anyway to the barn. You know you have to work. And I'm the same way. I work out of my house. So it's a good thing that it's always there, but it's also a bad thing. It's always here. I was working till like 1230 yeah. last night. So but if you schedule it and it's real, if it's in my book, it's real. And I just try to stay within the time frames. 
that brings me to another question I'm starting to ask everyone that I interview, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this. So we are all, as you said, connected, right? We all have our cell phones. We all have our iPads. We all have our computers. And I know that a lot of women ride, and especially the younger girls, because I'm a woman of a certain age, so I'm a little older, but um, ride with their phones in their pockets. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm curious to know how you feel about completely unplugging Mm -hmm. at the barn or do you think it's okay to kind of go around with your phone in your pocket? What are your thoughts on that? You know, I never, so I never, uh, I shouldn't say never. Uh, When I'm riding, particularly when I'm training, I never have a phone in my pocket. I do carry a phone in my pocket when I go on trail rides and that's only for safety. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Just because I, I'm out and about for my, but I, but I, do very much believe in unplugging. And I think it's just an opportunity. One, I think we owe it to the horse because I don't think you're present in what you're doing. Um, We owe it to ourselves because if you are training and you're paying for lessons or you're paying for this time, you you owe it to yourself to unplug in that moment and focus on what you're doing. Um, And I also just think you have to take, again, to your point, in this day and age, you have to take every opportunity you can to unplug and just be there and enjoy it and remember why you're doing this. Um, and, and you know, I have a lot of, there's a lot of riders at our barn and I get it because life is crazy and we've got a million, you know, a million different responsibilities that we're trying to juggle. And so people have to take the 15 minutes in their breaks to, to answer a phone call or answer an email. And so, you know, again, I, I think everyone, I don't mean to I'm not trying to preach um, the mindfulness, but I really do think it is important. And I know for me, it's, I need it. I just, I need that time to unplug. And I think it really does force me to enjoy my horse and force me to focus on what I'm doing and, and enjoy and be in that moment. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, you're putting so much effort into this and it's, it's an expensive sport, right? No matter if you have your horses at home or it doesn't matter. It's an expensive sport. And you do owe it to them. And I always say to myself, I have, you know, a thousand pounds plus beneath me who has a brain and is super fast. I need every, I need to concentrate here. I just, and my thing is if you also have a spooky horse or a nervous horse, which mine is, you know, if you have your phone on really loud, he's going to be like, it's just, um, I mean, you know, some people are comfortable with it, but I kind of do think that it will benefit you and your horse if you unplug and then learn to be present. And so many of us are talking about mindfulness right now. And I know you and I had kind of gone back and forth in our emails. I'd love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about your kind of ritual for mindfulness or how you set yourself up for success when you get to the barn. Yeah. Um, I actually started a few years ago. Um, I started working with a, a, a sports coach. So he's a performance sports coach. And we've spent a lot of time working on this. And it started very much around the competition um, space around how I was preparing for a competition. And that's really bled into like my everyday rituals and my everyday practice. So, um, I try very hard to the last like five minutes of my drive to the barn. I, um, I listen to, I, 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 I commute an hour to my barn. So I, I, I have a lot of time in the, in the car. So I, I actually listen to a lot of audiobooks. but I turn off my audiobook, And in general, I spend the last five minutes um, listening to music, I just kind of pick a song that helps me 
zone in, kind of refocus, just think about what I'm doing, what I'm, what I'm working for that day with whatever horse or horses I'm working with. Um, and I, and I just try and spend that last five minutes. It's kind of this long little driveway that I spend that time. That's my cue. It's what my coach calls the bridge, um, between the warm up arena and the, and the show ring is the bridge. And it's very much just remember why you're doing this, leave everything else behind, let your day kind of fade away, focus in on what the task ahead is. Um, and and then enjoy it, right? Just enjoy the sun, enjoy the birds, whatever you're listening to, whatever's there, just kind of be present in that moment um, and set up. So I try very much to do that. And then I actually spend, this is a dressage, a dressage thing too, but I think for everyone, I actually spend a lot of my warm-up walk. Um, I, I spend a lot of time in my warm-up walk and I spend a lot of time during that time thinking about what I'm doing for that um, for that day and for that moment, for that ride. And again, I just think it's a 20 minute period of time that's really nice for your horse. It's good for you. And you can just kind of settle into the saddle. You have to physically, you know, yoga breathe your way out yeah. of yeah. all of the, the phone calls that you just had that were probably very frustrating or the day at work that was stressful or the, you know, the, the lines and lines of your to-do list that you can just kind of breathe away and think about what you're there for. Um, and I think if you can do that before your ride in that 15, 20 minute stretch of time, it changes the next 30, whatever minutes that you're on the horse and you, you, but you have to consciously do it. I mean, it's, it's truly like a yoga breath, almost kind of, kind of motion of thinking, okay, just physically relax and let everything else go. And yeah. then, and then focus in on where you are. Yeah, I think that's huge. And I, I know that that will help a lot of listeners. I, I completely agree with you hundred percent. I teach on this and mindfulness is so big as you know, right now for amateurs and pros. And a lot of it is you're setting yourself for, up for success because the way that you approach your horse, you're carrying all that crap from the day, frustration, anxiety, long line at Starbucks, fight with your boss. It's all going to that three feet in your electromagnetic field. Your horse is going to feel that energy and they know you, they know your visual face and, and they know when you're upset and when you're happy yep. and if you can't drop that, it's going to carry through your entire ride. Yep. So I think that's, that's such a good practice to have. And it is definitely not a one and done. It's definitely something you have to work on, but I think yep. once you keep doing it, it just becomes part of your, your routine, yes. right? Yeah, it totally yeah. does. Yep. Like anything else. Now, how do you handle, cause you've got a couple different horses here and I'm just looking over some of the notes that we had gone back and forth on. How do you handle tough or difficult horses? And I'm asking myself because I'd like to know, because my horse is um, super sensitive. I get yep. the sensitive ones and I get to, uh, to be a nervous rider myself. So that's why I'm always trying to be present and calm down myself. Yep. Um, so how do you handle a horse that's spooky or um, just kind of having a, a meltdown or a moment? Or if they're not, if they're trying to learn something and it's, they're, they're getting frustrated, you're not yeah. getting frustrated, but they're yeah. getting frustrated. How does that, yeah. how does that play out for you? Um, I, you know, I have to say that I think first and foremost, uh, the, the number, I mean, this, I would go back to this on so many questions probably, but the first thing I would say is find some, some good eyes on the ground, find your, find a good trainer, a good program, um, because they're going to help you in those situations too, right? Where something is going awry and they one can give you some direction of, 
you know, whatever that might be, point them in a different direction, put your leg on, you know. And so it's good to have some eyes on the ground to help you to coach you through that. Of like, here's what you physically should do with your body or the horse's body. Yeah. Um, and also give you some better ideas of how to handle it in the future. So I have, um, but then I think it's a lot more than that too, obviously, but I have a, um, he's a spooky horse. It's interesting. He has, he developed cataracts like quite soon after we bought him and, uh, and they're not, they're not uh, severe enough to do surgery, but they, but they, they very much bother him. He, he, I mean, I, I actually can't imagine he, he can't understand that, that he has blind spots now, right? But he has no way to rationalize. All of a sudden, he has blind spots. So with him, um, he gets very, very nervous about oncoming traffic of other horses. So in the warm-up arena, it's uh, it's like dodgeball. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like this game of dodgeball. Um, and in our indoor. And then he's also very, very nervous about big changes in light. Yes. So I think the first, to me, it's very much just a diagnosis of the, of the spookiness, right? Because spookiness to me comes out of just a couple of different reasons. And one, it's, is there a physical pain that they, you're asking them to do something and there's physically something there that uh, they, they just can't tackle or it really hurts. And so they, they don't want to go there. And right. so they're trying to get out of it through, you know, through a spook or through a, a pushback or whatever it might be. So is there some sort of physical discomfort? Um, and I think we as horse owners need to, need to figure that out, right? That's our responsibility. Yes. yes. Um, and then, and then the second comes down to trust and confidence, right? Like they're trusting confidence in themselves, in the situation or in you. And I think that's where it then becomes a process of, you know, there are some flat out naughty horses that are just naughty from whatever in their past happened or whatever in their characteristics, they can be naughty. But in my experience, most spooks are not naughty. They're not trying to get you off their back. They're not trying to toss you. They're, they're nervous. They're scared. Their confidence is not there. So I think it's just a, you know, with, with, with Bombay that my, my spooky horse, he, um, we've tried so many different things. We've tried putting little fuzzies, you know, bumpers on the, the side of his, the side of his bridle on his cheek pieces. We've tried, I mean, no, we, we've tried all sorts of different pieces to help him get through that. And at the end of the day, the more, the more confident he is with me and the more I can anticipate what exactly he's going to spook at or what situation is going to make him nervous. And can I help just alleviate some of that stress by either dodging it completely if it's a situation where you can, yeah, um, or, you know, finding a system that works for him. So there's, you know, there's one particular spot in our arena that bless his little heart. He will, he will spook at every single time he walks by it in the indoor. It's just, it's I mean, where the dragons are, Joey. That's where the dragons, dragons are. are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they are going to eat him and he knows I it. Want to. <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable. And you know, you just have to chalk it up. And I have to say, this is just him. And he is not being mean. He is not doing this. He's not doing this. He is genuinely afraid of something in this right. moment. And so, you know, my trainer and I have worked out the system where if I need to ride a transition, a downward transition in that place to get us through it, and then we pick back up after, or in our warm up, if it works better for him, just to kind of stay quarter line, not on the rail, like, you know, work through little systems that just make it better and slowly chip away at it. Yeah. Um, but I really do think if you can find 
one, if you have a trainer or any set of eyes on the ground that, that um, make you more confident, yeah. then that helps you get through it, right? You don't need somebody yelling at you trying to like push you through this um, and keep forward, you know, that the chaos of that, but someone who helps you just confidently kind of chip away at things and um, then that helps. And if they can help with solutions here or try this there and, and see what you can do. But at the end of the day, it's just patience in my yeah. mind. Yeah. Patience with yourself and with them. With yourself and them. I totally agree with you. And it, yeah. and a lot of us, it comes down to expectations too. A lot of us have expectations of ourselves and our horses that is not realistic. There are a lot of amateurs out there who think that they need to ride like a pro, their mm -hmm. horse will be like a pro, yes. or they want to go to another level, their horse physically can't get there. Mm -hmm. So it's all about managing the expectations, being patient, trying to figure out, is this horse really scared? Because that's one thing. It's yeah. a thing if if it's something that they're reacting from that you can get them through it and you can maybe just downshift a little bit and then things will be okay I try yeah. to set them up if I know exactly where that spot is and you know where that is and yeah, yeah. you try you just do everything you can to try to make it as comfortable I try to take all the obstacles out as much as I can and make yeah. it as comfortable for both of us as we can if it make if I move over a little bit it makes it better on both of us I mean, I'm not competing at that second. It's, it's okay. The world's not going to stop. Yeah. You know? Yep. But and at the end of the day, you're just trying to build their confidence. They can get through it. Right. Right. That they, that they will survive and they will get through it. If it's a spookiness, I think if it's, if it's something physical in their training and they're reacting in the training and like you said, if, you know, if, if you're asking something and they're confused and they're getting frustrated, I think you then have to very much go back to, okay, what am I trying to accomplish? And you know, if they're, if they're very, very resistant, of course, depending on the horse and the level of training and their strength, um, I think you have to say, okay, if this, you know, if it's a, if it's a horse and I'm asking for this, you know, really big half pass and they can't give me that, then maybe I need to ask for a shallower one right now. Or, you know, if I'm asking for a walk canter transition and it's really not getting through and they're really getting frustrated, right, maybe go back to the trot canter transitions or something that's a little more familiar that helps build their confidence so that they can feel good about what they're doing. Right, and, right, right. Because you always want to give them the confidence, especially if they're really trying and they're learning something. Yeah. They have to reward every try. And yeah. as one of my friends said, it doesn't have to be pretty all the time. You know, if yeah. especially if they're learning, it, it's not going to be pretty. So okay. it's just a matter of getting them through and then, you know, giving them that positive reinforcement so they finally they learned it. And now then you work on it from there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you, so if your horse, one of your horses is hurt and you're just about to go into a competition and then you have to pull out, how do you mentally handle that? How do you, cause I know that's a lot of, that's something that a lot of people think about. Like, you know, I love my horse and we've spent all this time and we've yeah. gotten to this level, but right now he can't do anything until he heals up. And it's like really hard mentally. And it doesn't seem like a lot of equestrians talk about that. They just kind of accept it, but they don't discuss it. How do you feel about, how do you work with that? Something like that type of scenario? Yeah. Well, I actually just had this happen. Um, last year we were, we had some really lofty goals for this, this past, like this season. And, and, and my horse was injured at the end um, of last year. So I just went kind of went through this and, um, you know, I, I skated through it a little bit, just thinking, Oh, you know, it's, it, Joey, you've got champagne problems, right? Like this yeah. is a champagne problem and you need to just buck up. And, and I think 
I ended up talking a lot to my coach about this. And he said, the first thing you need to do is you need to acknowledge your disappointment, right? Especially if you're working towards a competition, you've got, you know, really serious goals and you've spent a lot of time, you've spent a lot of money getting here. And then, and then this happens and it's, it's so disappointing. And so I think first and foremost, you've got to acknowledge it. You've got to acknowledge and just give yourself that time mm -hmm. to be bummed and to be sad and to be disappointed. Um, and then I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate that I have another horse that I can still ride, but I think in any, in any space, if you can just get on a horse, any, any horse, right. Just if you've got a, a trainer with maybe some sales horses, or if there's some lesson horses you can take, or if somebody else will let you get on their horse, just to keep riding and stay in the saddle and keep working on your goals. I think that helps. Um, yeah. but you know, it's, it's, it's just part, it's unfortunately, it's part of the sport. And I think it's until you go through that the first time, you don't, you know, you don't really understand how much a part of the sport it is. Like, I mean, these animals, we're asking them to be professional athletes, you know, if you will. And, and there's no professional athlete that at some point in time doesn't have an injury right. My major. And so it's, it's unfortunate that it's just part of it, but um, I think, I think more than anything, the challenge is accepting it. It's just accepting that it's there and then finding how you can stay involved. Like I, I mean, after my horse, um, was injured, I was still auditing clinics. I was still going out and listening to lessons, still just trying to keep educating myself and stay involved as much as I can. Yep. And anytime anyone offers to get on a horse, I, mean, I again, like if it's my Icelandics, I don't care. I'm on the horse, <laughs> right? Like I'm like, we're working on our little leg yields and our shoulder. <laughs> so I think it's just, if you can, if you're fortunate enough that you can still stay in the saddle to just kind of mentally and physically stay in the game. Um, but it's, it's tough. It's really hard. And you, you got to fight a little bit of jealousy because you always feel like, Oh, well, this person's out there and I should be out there. And, you know, but I think you need to let yourself also just feel the disappointment. Um, before then remembering it's also, you know, champagne problems. It's at some point too, that we're still very fortunate to be in this and we get to do it. Yeah, we are. And they are yeah. magnificent animals. They're master teachers. They all have their moments and they're, they're just like humans. They can break down and yeah. it's all about, like you said, just staying in it as best you can. Yeah. And sometimes we get horses with problems that we didn't know were even there. Mm -hmm. um, but you just have to accept it. And I think, like you said, accepting it is probably at least 75% of it because once you, it's just like anything, if you, if you want to be at a certain level, but you're not there yet, you need to accept where you are. And my, as my old trainer used to say, you are where you are and it's okay where you are. Yeah. You are where you are. That's where you're starting from. It's yeah. okay. Yep. It's like, if you're at 200 pounds and you want to be 150 pounds, you can't pretend you're at 160 pounds. You're, you're, you are where you are, but you can get better, right? Yeah. But what about if you have a serious injury yourself? Because I know you, you are still working through one and I had one. I, I, if you wouldn't mind, I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, but because I believe in, in all my years of owning horses over 25 years, and I don't know, you tell me if you think this is the same for your experience. People don't talk about this. The questions, they're always like, oh, you know, get back up there. Looking forward to seeing you in the ring. Glad you're back. But it's never like, how do you really feel, Joey? Are you really doing better? Can I help you with, I, I never got any of that. And that led me to have a lot of shame 
forgetting yeah. her. Can you? Think yeah. It? It's like, how has this kind of shaped you and changed you if it has at all? How did, how have you kind of gone through that process? Yeah. Um, well, I do think I, so I, I had a pretty, this was, and this was recent. I had a pretty, my horse that's rehabbing. Um, I was hand walking him actually. And he spooked. He's, he's 95% of the time. He's, uh, he's perfect. And then the other 5% of the time he, um, <laughs> he gets fired up. And so he, he spooked and he, he bolted. And I, um, I held on cause all I could, in my head, all I could think of was he's injured. Don't let him run. And so I got pulled down and I caught his hoof in my, in my cheekbone. So I broke my cheekbone in four places and had to have reconstructed it was a long story, but, uh, it was, it was obviously a fairly traumatic injury. And I think, um, so it's interesting because I was back in the saddle two weeks after my surgery um, and I was fine in attack, not nervous. I, I mean, this was, and this was just three months ago. So I'm not nervous um, and, and, and quite fine in attack, but I do find myself getting uh, nervous on the ground when I'm handling them and specifically him. I, I haven't spent much time handling him since then. Uh, because I, because I, I get nervous and I'm not a, I'm generally not a nervous person. So I think to your point, um, especially in the dressage world, mm -hmm. there's this whole persona and this whole, um, uh, expectation that your horse is obedient, right? That there's no spookiness that everybody's calm. Everybody is bomb proof. Everybody's fine. And, and so I think there is a level of shame or embarrassment that your horse got lit up, right? Or that you didn't stay in the tack or that you did something wrong or that you aren't a good rider or that you aren't competent on the ground. So I do think there is that level. I also think um, it's a little bit around, um, if you don't talk about it, it's not there, mm -hmm. right? Like, and there's a, a little bit of a, no one wants to get hurt. So if we kind of pretend that you don't get hurt, then you won't get hurt. And so, um, I think that there is something to be said about getting back on the wagon. I, so I do think you have to force yourself to get back out there and push your, out of your comfort zone. But I think you have to be very, very diligent in how you do it. So, um, because you need to build back your own confidence in, in a very slow pace of time. And you need to realize and acknowledge and own your own fear after going through this, because there will be one. I mean, it just, no matter what the accident is, there's, there's absolutely going to be some level of fear, whether it's subconscious or not. Right. Your own body reacting, right? Like you yes. don't even know it and it's there. Yes. Um, and so like, for example, I, um, I went to the woman who I love dearly. I have a great relationship with her who's runs the rehab program where he is. And I said, Hey, I need you to literally walk next to me while I hand walk my horse for the next, however long it needs to take. And it's an ego blow because you don't want to sit there and think I've been riding for how many years of my life and I've owned this horse for how many years, but I, I don't feel comfortable hand walking him right That's now. That's exactly what I said to myself. Yeah. And it's, and you have to own it and you have to just, <laughs> you know, you have to just swallow the ego pill and know this is going to be very humbling, but I, I actually need someone to walk next to me right now with my horse because I am going to freeze in a moment. If he just puts his head up and looks at something, yes, then I am going, I'm going to like, freeze. And 
So again, I think it comes back to that support system. And if it's, if it's not a hand walk and instead you had a bad crash or bad fall off of them, then, you know, maybe you need to have somebody else in the arena with you at all times. Maybe you need to make sure the horse, you know, has a, has a, you know, a, a nice little lunge before you get on or something that is just going to make you feel more confident. And um, because like we said earlier, the horse is absolutely going to feel whatever emotion you're putting off. Yeah. And so if you get up there and you're, and you're scared, they're going to know this and it's likely not going to help any situation. So I, I do think it is just, again, swallowing the ego pride. Um, I've spent a lot of time talking to other riders who have gotten injures, injuries um, and, and significant ones. And we've had, and, and they all feel the same way. Um, so I do think a lot of it is just, you know, kind of being the first to say, yeah, I'm nervous about this. And yeah, I don't feel 100% confident doing this. And, and I know that's a little embarrassing, but that's what it is right now. And then making a plan and having the support system to get back into it um, right. in, in the right way and take it as slowly as you need to. Yeah, I agree. Taking it slowly is a big thing. We also... The other thing is I had a really pretty um, bad accident um, a couple of years ago and he just basically did a 180. We were done for the day. Yeah. yeah. 180, I fell off and I hurt myself and um, not, nothing like you, not, not surgery wise, but um, significant enough for me to go into shock and yeah. all that fun stuff. So um, I actually work with uh, clinicians who help veterans with PTSD, soldiers, um, and abused women. And what I asked her about that, this scenario, and yeah. she said that what happens is your brain heals, but your body remembers the trauma. And especially if you go back to the same place, because it might've happened in your happy place. Yeah. I did. Um, and if you go back there, your whole body just tenses up because I can be okay to a certain point, but maybe it's just as I'm putting my gloves on or it's, it's a certain point And that's when I know it's there again, it's there again. So I agree, you know, lunging is always a good thing. Yeah. Um, having somebody there as a pair of eyes always makes me feel safer for some reason. Yeah. I don't know why I just feel safer. Yeah. And then yeah. the other part of it is incorporating any gear that you think would help you. So what I did was I, I never ride. Well, I always have my helmet on. Everybody should. Um, yes. But I put, I got one of the blow up vests. So oh, yeah. blow up before you hit the ground. Yes. So, cause it can protect your spine and your neck all the way down. So yes. it sounds funny, but you know, it's like, Hey, you know what, if that's what it takes to make me feel comfortable, I'm, I'm good with that. And you know, and like you said, it, it is humbling. And I, I felt the exact same way. Like I've had this horse eight years. You think like, what the hell's wrong with you? This is baby stuff. Get over this. Move on. You're, you're, you're so much better than this, but yeah. for some reason, this stupid thing keeps coming up and you just have to acknowledge it and yeah. just go and slow sure. with it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And again, I think it's, it goes back to the culture of you should be relaxed and it's kind of the protocol of being relaxed, but you know, my train, my trainer, she comes over and she tightens my girth every day when we're, when she's on the ground. And, um, at first I remember thinking, well, geez, I can tighten my own girth. I and then she told me that she saw a really bad accident with someone tightening a girth and the horse spooked and the woman came off and had a, a really bad accident. And so you just think, okay, where there's moments where I can take an ego check yeah, and yeah. if there's someone on the ground and they can tighten my girth for me, then great. That's, then we'll do that. 
And, you know, I'm not a big believer in riding scared. And I think, and I think it's important that we, that we feel confident on the horse, but you've got to make sure you build that confidence. Um, and then I also think there's very easy precautions that you can take every day that, um, that might feel to your point, wearing a vest. And if, if that feels a little weird or if that, okay, great. But you know what? You're never going to have a really bad, I mean, it's going to, it's going to be huge if you do have a bad fall. So, right. I, you know, I think if you can leave your ego at the door, then it helps tremendously. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And it's a process, right? Because, yes. you know, coming back from the injury is a process, just like getting back on your horse is a process. But I think, yep. as you said, if you can keep in the community, um, that helps. And I think as other riders, maybe if we're a little bit more in tune and kind of get rid of that ego and everything's got to be perfect because everybody's got issues. Nobody's horse is perfect. All these horses are still horses. They're all still pretty much wild. That's why people think we're crazy when we ride them because (laughs) they're really not. We think they're so civilized, but happen and they're not. They're horses. It's true. So, I mean, they see a wolf, they see a dragon, they see something, they see a puddle that they've seen and they're like, you know, I mean, it happens. So, um, I think that, that staying in it, I think having eyes on the ground, I think the gear thing, and I think most importantly, taking your time until you feel comfortable and doing it incrementally. Um, but by the same token, you can't wait forever. As you said that you, you should, because otherwise there is something to that. You don't want to ride injured, but if you wait too long, it's almost yeah, like the fear yeah, gets bigger than it does. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I was very in pony club. It was always, you popped off. If you were okay, you got right back on. Okay. And, and, and I, it, there is something to be said. And that's actually why I got back in the saddle so quickly after, uh, after my injuries, because I, I, I want, I wanted to, and I wasn't, I wasn't nervous about getting back in the tack, but I knew it was important to do that specifically. Have your goals changed because of the accident? Or are you still on schedule to get where you need to be? Um, no, they no, they haven't changed. I mean, honestly, my 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 horse rehabbing is like is kind of the biggest change in in just my near term goals. But everything has stayed everything has stayed the same. Wow. Um, and for me personally, everything has stayed the same. It's more. It's honestly, it's more working with that horse specifically on the ground that I have to spend. That's that's the psychological work that I have to do and and that's going to take me some time I know the support that you need with that yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah so I know you've talked a lot about mindfulness and what are your top three tips that you could give to the listeners to have them be more mindful or um, approach their riding in a different way what are your what are your top tips that you could give to them yeah um yeah, this I, I've been harping on this a lot, and I would I would honestly say, um, my number one tip across the board is find the right trainer and the right program, um, and I think this this translates into mindfulness because I often see it, it kind of blows me away the number of times that I see um, a trainer treating a client poorly, and I go back to this is your client. Like we are, we are paying someone to help us with this. And, you know, not only 
is that person supposed to help us train in whatever discipline it is in whatever capacity your goals are, but they're also supposed to just support you as an individual. Right. And, 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 and create your sense of trust and your confidence and your bond with this horse or your guidance in getting a horse or, you know, whatever kind of that, that part might be. And so, and then it also translates into, do they have a program that um, supports all of that? that, you know, that supports the horse health, that supports the horse wellness. Like, are they, do they know when to lunge the horse when the horse needs to have a, a little lunge day and get some kicks out and, and be safe. So I really do think that having that right support system again is number one, because then you're not worried about, it takes a layer of your worry and your anxiety completely out of the equation. Yep. And so you can be more mindful and you can be more present. And I think this, you find this in competition a lot too. I, I know there's actually this amazing quote that my coach put out, my, my head coach um, said the other day, and it is, you don't rise to the level of your expectations. You fall to the level of your training. And it's one of the most impactful quotes I've ever heard. And I find myself repeating it over and over because when you start to get nervous, whether that's at home, whether that's on a trail ride, whether that's in the show ring, you're going to revert back. You, your, your brain is gone all of a sudden yeah. Yeah. and you're on muscle memory only. Yeah. And so whatever muscle memory you have been training is what is, is what's going to happen. And so if you have a trainer that has been coaching you along the way, and whether that's from how to do a movement, how to you know ride a fence, whether that's from how to ride the spook that your horse has, that's what's going to carry you through that moment when you're alone. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I believe so wholeheartedly in finding, and I know how much of a difference it's made in my life and my career, my riding career, um, to find the right trainer. And I would really encourage people to be very diligent about finding the right trainer. And, you know, we often defer to what's the location of the trainer, right? Are they close to home? Are they, I've got to commute with my work. I've got, and, um, and then, and then just kind of go with it. Yeah. And then we get stuck and we don't change trainers uh, because there's drama involved in all of that. Right. And there's right. a community that's, that's there. And again, it, it's, 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 anxiety ridden around changing a trainer. So I really think that um, when people go, you know, go to find a trainer, interview people, just like you would, if you were, you know, if you're shopping for a house, you don't look at one house and you go there right. because you look at multiple houses. I mean, this is a big investment. If you're hiring somebody for a business, for a job, you don't just hire a first, like your first candidate, you interview people. Right. And so I think as clients, we also have, um, you know, the, the ability, and we should own that ability to interview those trainers, um, take a lesson with them, watch their lessons, go to a show and watch how they coach their, you know, coach their current clients and really pay attention to that. Uh, and so I think that's number one across the board is find that support system. And if you can't afford a full-time trainer, if you know, a lot of these trainers will go out and do individual lessons and maybe help you build your program that you can do on your own if you, if you can't afford to do full-time or be in full-time with them. Um, but some sort of support, I think, is just huge. Um, I think number two uh, is, is being an athlete yourself. And, I, and that can be an athlete of any sort of level, right? Like I, don't, I don't mean a marathoner, and I don't mean you've got to go to CrossFit 10, you know, 10 times a week. 
I just mean having um, some sort of exercise program in your own life, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. And I think that's, for me, that's kind of threefold. It's one, because it's obviously healthy for you. It's good for your brain. You get your endorphins. You're, I'm, a, I'm a happier, healthier, less stressed out person when, I'm, when I have a workout program. Um, I think it makes you a better rider physically. You've got a stronger core. You've got you know, better control of your muscles. It, it makes you a better rider. And um, third, I think, it, especially for those of us that are very competitive, um, but even, even not, it gives you a sense of empathy for your horse and what you're asking for your horse, right? So if you, if somebody said to you, you have to get on the treadmill seven days a week or five days a week, and you're going to run at the same speed for 30 minutes, you're one going to wear out the exact same muscles and joints and ligaments and that you're asking to work every single day. You're going to be bored out of your mind. Or eventually you're going to start saying, no, I'm not doing this anymore. (laughs) Right. So, um, so I think it, and then, and then you also appreciate some days you wake up and you're tired. And you don't really want to work so hard. And if somebody is sitting there forcing this work down your throat, you're not going to respond so well. Um, So I just think it's really important for us. You know, I know when I do hill work with my horses, I appreciate that that's hard because I just ran hills yesterday. Or, you know, if I'm asking them to do a stretchy ride and we had a hard workout yesterday, I know that stretch is going to feel really good, but it's also going to be a little stiffer today or you know whatever it might be so I think it's important because you understand what the horse is going through and you have more empathy with what you're asking them to do yeah absolutely so um that's number two and the last is just you know you've got to remember why you're doing it and I think it's just really important that you always come back to the love of the horse, right? Like I love, I love dressage and I love competing, but that is all wrapped up in just my love for the horses, my love for the sport. And I actually get quite emotional talking about that because for me, the horses are, are my therapy. I, I, there's nothing more than I love doing groundwork with my horses of taking them out for a hand graze or grooming them or just spending time with them. I mean, sitting in a, you know, sitting on my tack trunk, holding the lead rope while we just nuzzle is, is a very special moment. Yeah. And, you know, I think especially if we're competing, we can get wrapped up in the scores, the placement, the, the journey, you know, whatever it is and forget the journey along the way and why we're doing this. And I think especially in something like dressage and, and even, you know, even jumpers or hunter, but some, where you've got a judge who's, who's giving you a score, right? And you get lost in what that judge says or what that score is. Instead of remembering, especially if you have a spooky horse or you've got a horse that was really difficult to train and you've come so far and done so much with this horse and the judge doesn't see those years of work and the hours put into it. They just see what they see in front of them. And that's not their fault. That's their job. Um, but I think it's easy to lose sight of why we do this. And again, it's, you know, it's a little bit of an ego thing. So we want to get the good scores. We want to place well. We want to, you know, we want to have the blue ribbon. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I took my horse yesterday for a, um, a, a bareback halter ride. And that, to me, is one of my happiest moments of just yeah. being out in a field with him, bareback and, and walking around, enjoying the sunshine. Yeah. So I think that's, at the end of the day, we can never, ever, ever lose sight of that. And if you do, it's, it's gotta be a big check. It's gotta be a really, in my mind. It's I totally be- agree with all that. I love everything you said. And I, 
I totally agree with that. And I, I think to your point, when you're training, the second one, when you're training, don't be afraid to bring some fun back into it. You yeah. know, put up oh, yeah. some cones. My horse loves cones. Yeah. Throw, throw up some rails. I know it sounds babyish and goofy, but you know what? Sometimes it's just about, for me, 90% of the time, because I used to show and I don't show anymore, that this is my Zen place. Like I love these animals. Like they're my children. I don't have any children either. So yeah. it's a lot about let's have some fun today. Cause I know if I had to be in this ring, like you said, on the treadmill, same thing every day, I go to the gym all the time. I don't, I'm like, I have something new. I'm bored. Yeah. Like just yeah. throw, get out of your back, whatever you feel comfortable. Yeah. Enjoy yourself and have fun because they want to play too. And the more you can bring in the play, the better off their psyches are going to be. And, and yeah. you develop that heart connection with them and the bond gets stronger and grows. Yes. yes. And, and then I also think on the first one, I'd love to just chime in and tell you really quickly that trainers can make or break you. In my personal humble opinion, I had a, a trainer because everyone at the barn said she was great and she's been here and done that. And that's great. And yeah. she is a good trainer, but she just wasn't the trainer for me or my horse. And yeah. I had had my horse for seven years at that point, And all we did was a little bit of work. And she basically said that my gear was terrible and that, which I'd had custom made in England for him, which she didn't know. And yeah. also she said, I think, you know, nothing. And I think your horse knows nothing. And I said, you're fired. Good for you. And then I had another lady come in and she helped me with the lunging, which is when I had really broken my finger pretty badly. It's never right. been right. Again, just a thing that happened. Right. Yeah. And she just said, all you need, she said, this is entirely fixable. All you need to do is you need to learn a new dance. You guys have a dance. You do this. He does that. Yeah. All you need to do is learn the new steps and yeah. still lunge like a pro for anybody but me. Yeah. I thought, well, what the hell's wrong with me? It was yeah. just a dance. And now he lunges great for me. So yeah. that trainer gave me like, so I was so afraid, like, is it really me? Do I really suck? I mean, it's yeah. okay if I do, but it was kind of like, you have the power to pay somebody to help you. And oh, yeah. by the way, not for nothing. I may not be great in one area. That's why I raised my hand for help. Yeah. I wanted you to come to help me. Yeah. I know I'm not proficient in certain areas. I, I get that. That's yeah. why I said, Hey, I need some help over here. Yeah. So I think that if a trainer is belittling you or is feeling like they're very much up here and you're down here, so they're not interested because certain trainers only want to work with certain courses that are in a certain, at a certain level. And I get that. And that's okay. Yeah. For, for you personally, you need to understand that you have the power. You're the client. And you need to find somebody, as you said, that can work with you and that will boost you up and yeah. do that you can do this. Yeah. I can help you through this. Yeah. And, and maybe they need to get on your horse for a minute or two Yeah. because sometimes it's pretty hard to learn if you don't know the move oh, yeah. and they don't know the move. Sometimes you need them to teach your yeah. horse the move and then you get back on. I mean, yes. that's, that's a normal process. Oh, yeah. We do that all the time. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. I think you need to find, you know, to your point, find your style, yeah. right? So some, um, some riders want a very direct style. Some riders do better with a softer, you know, a, a softer edge. And, and I think you just have to keep interviewing um, and also recognize that depending on your goals, you may need a different trainer at different stages in your riding career, right? Yeah. So to your point, if, 
Um, if you're just beginning to learn how to ride, you obviously are going to have a very different trainer than if you're a highly competitive trainer and being a highly competitive rider. And, and so, you know, I think it's also this, there is a progression too of your career and who fits the best in your current role and who can take you to where your goal is and, um, in, in the style that works best for you and that works best for your horse. And, um, and, and just be, be persistent about finding that right match because to your point, it, it will completely change your entire relationship with your horse, with your riding and the experience of it all. Absolutely. Wow. And be diligent. I mean, it's okay. I used to drive an hour each way to my barn too, every day yeah. for years. It's okay to trailer out. It's okay to, yeah. you know, I'd rather have the right person that will support us yeah. both. And most, you know what I always say, most importantly, my horse has to get along with that trainer. If my oh, yeah. horse doesn't like that trainer, I, I mean, I've had some that have been very rough. And if you have a sensitive horse, yeah. you know, there's, there's different trainers, as you said, for different levels, for different times yeah. of your life and for different horses. All horses are different. But um, if you have a sensitive horse like I do, if they're rough, it's not a good situation because yeah. you, you need more, you need them to be more confident, not to go back into their shell. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Especially like if you're, and it depends on how you're riding is if you're more of a forward rider or you're maybe a little bit, I'm a little bit more, not timid, but I'm just a little more careful. And it's because I've had accidents, right? Because after you've had an injury, you're not, you kind of have a little bit there of, you know, I just don't want to get hurt again. Yeah. You know, and, and so I want to do everything I can (laughs) as best I can to try to, you know, alleviate that if possible. So you know, you change too as a person. You're not the same person you were when you started with Pony Club. And yeah. I always think, remember when we were learning to post how hard it was? Do you remember those days? Oh, you know, yeah. Up, down, up, down. And you'd be like, some days where I'm like, I don't know that I can ride today. I can't do this anymore. Like, this is so hard. And then all of a sudden you get it. And yeah. then you never look back. And now you do it without even thinking. It's autopilot. Yeah. yeah. That's how it is now when you're learning something new too. It's that same type of, this is hard. This is hard. And then all of a sudden you yeah. or your work, you get it. Yeah. Right through. yeah. So no, it's, it's just very, it's very true. It's so cool. And you watch, you know, the top riders, you watch the top international riders in any discipline and they work with trainers too. This is, you know, this is not a, I, I don't need a trainer. This is everyone who's, who's successful in the sport has eyes on the ground at some point. Um, on a regular basis. And we all need help and we all want to get better. Yeah. So you all, you know, you're never going to get to the point where you're going to say, I'm good. I got this because top levels at Grand Prix, they still, they still need help. You yeah. know, so that's the, it's the, it's the, um, humbling and the, and to me, the most, uh, motivating of the sport is, is just when you think you're getting, you're getting at your, your level of expectations changes and then you're, you know, you're feeling like, gosh, I don't even know if I can post the trot today. <laughs> you know? So it's a, it's an ever, it's an ever changing target as you, um, as you get better. It's always, it's always changing. But that's the good part. That means you can ride for your whole life. You know, there's people in their sixties riding and you just have yeah. to find the right horses. And there's so many horses out there. Mine, all my animals are rescues. There's so many animals that these older masters, I mean, they'll just go around and they'll be just can learn so much from them. So quiet. And they're looking for someone who doesn't want to do a lot because they've been there and done that and they're tired now they're older. So that's always a good match too. You know, I mean, just to kind of, you know, getting that right horse is important as getting the right trainer. 
Oh, 100%. Be on, which we didn't even talk about. We could go into that for another hour, but um, getting the right horse is crucial to what your goals and expectations are. Yes. Um, And sometimes that comes into focus really quickly if your horse is not, if your horse is injured or you find out that your horse can't do this level, you thought they could. And that's a whole other, a whole other thought. I I think, yeah, it is a whole other topic, but I think that also wraps into the trainer because usually you're, you know, one, I, I do think it's, especially if you're an amateur, I think it's important to, to enlist the help of a trainer in finding that right match. And then it needs to be the right trainer that knows you, that knows your goals, that understands your budget. I mean, all of the above, um, even if it's some, you know, it's, it's easy because it's easy to think, Oh, I don't need a trainer's help because you're, you know, you, you're on a budget. You're trying not to pay a commission, but what, you know, whatever it might be. I think a lot of people skip that step. And I think it's a huge mis- I think it's a huge uh, mistake in a lot of ways. If you, if you, don't have help in finding that right, that right horse. Yeah, and in yeah. the long run can, can oftentimes be more expensive because you, you purchased the wrong horse or the horse has an injury that you didn't know about it, or it's, you know, got some quirk and it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a whole nother topic that we can go into, but I do think having a good trainer again, that you trust that knows you, that knows your goals uh, is is crucial in helping you find that right horse. Absolutely. And that you can work with and feel confident with most importantly, that you feel confident, your horse feels confident, and then yeah. you guys can move on to do what you really want to do. Yep. Which is kick some butt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, Joey, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for talking with me today. Oh, I know our so listeners are going to love this. I know they're going to get some really great points out of this. And I really appreciate you talking about your injury. Yeah. That a lot of uh, people feel a little funny about that. So thank you for being so open. And I really, I'm so honored that you would do that for us. I really appreciate it. Wow. Well, thank you for having me. It's been so fun. Thank you. So we're, what we're going to do is we are going to put up all the links so people can reach you and they can reach WoodBT because you've got some really cool things coming out. Um, and the best email to contact you if they have questions. And I would love to have you back at some point if you're up for it, because I know that there's so many cool things we could talk about. <laughs> yeah, I know it's a great topic. <laughs> but I feel like that I feel like the equestrians need this this kind of forum that we can talk about this stuff because we can help each other. I mean, we're all at the barn, and even if we're all have you know Icelandics and we have warm bloods and we have walkers and we have saddlebreds but yeah. we're all love we all love horses and yeah. if we can also help each other and prop each other up like everybody always has good ride like that's the way it should be all the time it doesn't matter what you're doing on your ride if you're serious if you're just packing out and having a fun time but yeah. we are all in it because we love the horses and let's never lose sight of that so thank you so much for being here. I'm going to post all your links below. People can definitely go and find you on your Instagram, on your Facebook, um, and on your email, and we're going to get them over to your website. So thank you again, Joy. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you.